Hello, and thank you for joining me for the future podcast. I, Aubrey, am going to be your host, and today I will be giving you a glimpse into the far and not so far future. Hello and welcome. Today's topic is one I'm quite fond of, and that is the future of space exploration. Humans have always dreamt of sailing amongst the stars and voyaging across the galaxy, but how far away are we from achieving these dreams? Well, although traveling to different galaxies may be past our lifetime, we are a lot closer to this dream than you may think. In this podcast, I will be going over space elevators, skyhooks, and the concept of a moon base. These are ideas that have been talked about and researched within this decade and could come into fruition soon. For making it easier to leave the atmospheres and quick travel from planets to planets, I will be going over them in sort of a sequence because each go in hand with each other and play a significant role in order to making our dream a reality. Quick note, there will be some math and numbers in this podcast. I use them to help create a better picture in your mind. With that quick note, let's get right into the first topic. This space elevator is exactly what it sounds like, an elevator that takes you and other payloads from the surface of the planet and out to the planet's atmosphere directly into space. Pretty simple in concept. The space elevator is made up of four components, tether, anchor, counterweight, and climber. The elevator part consisting of the tether and climber, the anchor would be submerged somewhere near the equator, while on the opposite end of the tether would be the counterweight which would be in space past geostationary orbit, approximately 36,000 kilometers above the Earth's surface. Of course, the biggest hurdle would be the tether. It would have to be lighter and stronger than any material we can produce right now. It has to be durable enough to withstand atmosphere corrosion, radiation, and space debris. There has been development of materials that come close to fitting this criterion, such as carbon nanotubes have been identified as being able to meet the specific requirements for the cross-section of the space elevator, while graphene and diamond nano threads are also other materials that are considered to work. Now let's say it has been built. How long would it re- take us to reach the bottom elevator to the top of the elevator? Believe it or not, at the speeds that are attainable, so the structure doesn't fall apart, we are looking at nearly three days. It takes around 54 megajoules per kilogram to move it up. For reference, the kinetic energy of a one-ton car moving at 160 kilometers an hour is approximately equal to one megajoule. Well, Aubrey, I hear you say, is the space elevator risky? Well, of course, a massive structure like that definitely comes with some risks. Should the tether break, depending on where it is severed, A, if it is severed at the anchor, the whole thing would crumble down and the counterweight and tether would be lost and pulled off into space. And B, if severed near the counterweight, the counterweight would float off and leave us with this 36,000 kilometer tether wrapping around the world. So if the space elevator is so risky, why should we try to attempt to build it in the first place? One word, money. Yes, the construction of a space elevator would be definitely one of the largest, most expensive construction projects ever built, but over time it would be cheaper and continuously than launching a rocket into space. Even with advancing technology such as SpaceX paying a fraction of what NASA used to pay to send payloads into space, that cost is likely never to become equivalent to a plane ticket. 
but a space elevator can solve this issue. If we are able to construct one on Earth, we would have to do it perfectly the first time. Now, one personal issue I have with the space elevator is how ugly it would look. I mean, just picture this thing, this massive structure just in the, sitting in the middle of nowhere, basically. And it, it's like a skyscraper that is too tall in contrast to every other building, and by a long shot, making it stick out like a sore thumb. The skyhook is the cooler version of the space elevator, and that a skyhook does not come into contact with the surface of the Earth and would require a suborbital launch to reach the skyhook, while a space elevator would not. It doesn't require new science, absurdly durable materials, or huge investments. It has also been tested successfully in orbit already. The concept is similar to the space elevator, but a lot simpler. So basically, more of a space ladder than a space elevator, bringing ships into space just with a lot less fuel. As it still has a tether made up of weights and cables, the weights hold the long cable in place as it rotates around in a circle. The rotating concept is if the orbital velocity and the tether rotation are equal. Then the skyhook will move in a cycloid curve. So where would we place this skyhook and how big will it be? Well, this is where it gets complicated. Because we want the skyhook at the bottom to be moving as slow as possible relative to the ground, a good place for the hook to be a good place for this hook would be around 100 kilometers above the surface, making it easy to reach. Let's also say that the skyhook is 4,000 kilometers in diameter to make it easy. Now we're going to get into some math. If the skyhook spun three times every 150 minutes, so a single spin is every 50 minutes, making the tether spin at 4.2 kilometers per second, but due to the cyclic curve I talked about, the lowest point near the 100k mark would be moving at 0.5 kilometers per second, or 1,800 kilometers per hour. For comparison, a normal commercial airline can reach up to a speed of 900 kilometers per hour, while an F-15 fighter jet can reach up to speeds of 4,800 kilometers per hour. A pretty good trade overall from going to 1,800 kilometers per hour to around 15,000 kilometers an hour near the top. So far, the concept of our rotating skyhook is sounding pretty promising, with it being relatively easy for it to hook a payload at the speeds it is going at the bottom of the spin and the speeds it can catapult something into space. But it comes with some big setbacks, the most prominent being the loss of momentum due to ships constantly hooking and getting pulled up to the top. It uses momentum to keep the skyhook in place and perform that cycloid curve. If nothing is done, then it will lose most of its speed and come hurling down into Earth's atmosphere. But if there are some easy solutions, such as balancing the momentum that is lost with the payloads that are coming from space on course to arrive in Earth's atmosphere, these arriving ships would provide energy to the tether. So basically, as long as you have a scheduled system for payloads that want to depart Earth's atmosphere into space and those that are coming from space en route to the surface, Thus, the tether will have an equal balance in receiving energy and supplying energy. Another solution would be to add some electrical or chemical boosters that would correct the tether if it were to waver from its position. Now that we got most of the basics out of the way, let's toy with the idea that we could mass-produce these skyhooks with minimal effort. What would that mean for space exploration? Well, for starters, if we were to put skyhooks into orbit of other celestial bodies, for example, what if we put one around Mars? Well, think of it as a big game of catch. While the skyhook would throw payloads toward Mars, a skyhook would be ready to intercept it on Mars and drop it to the Mars' surface. 
Unlike the Earth's skyhook, due to Mars's thin atmosphere, ships departing from Mars would only need to reach a speed of 1,000 kilometers per hour. With this method, the travel time from Mars to Earth would shorten from 9 months to almost 3 months, and it would be more cost-efficient than rockets. A couple things I just want to talk about before we wrap this topic up. Yes, they are a bit of a hazard when it comes to other space navigation. Like the space elevator, they also are at risk of being damaged by space debris hanging around orbit. But overall, skyhooks are still safe and probably safer than rockets. The more service time we give the skyhooks, the better for us to learn about their risks and benefits better as we have done before with rockets. So unlike the space elevator, it doesn't come with the huge capital investments, designing, manufacturing, or construction costs. Funny enough, the most expensive part of the project would be, wouldn't be the skyhooks themselves, but instead the hypersonic spacecrafts that are meant to connect to the hook. Although there could be some alternative methods that could arise in the future besides hypersonic jets, making the skyhooks overall even less costly. Though it may lack the storage capacity that are present in rockets, it could also couldn't be placed in a flight path that would make it come into contact with cities. Due to the sonic booms that would be created by the spacecrafts hitting nearly 1,800 kilometers per hour. But all that aside, it is safe in comparison. Cheap and requires relatively low technology, making it a strong candidate for future use. Overall, skyhooks are one of the most useful and clever concepts out there for getting into space, speeding up trips between planets and overall space exploration in its entirety. Our last topic in today's segment is the idea of building a moon base. The moon is a gateway to space, and in the coming future, might serve as a mining and manufacturing complex that could fuel vast production of spaceships, space stations, and be a self-sustaining base. We will also be discussing the, how the inclusion of the skyhook and the space elevator in a moon base. So first off, let's talk about what the moon can offer us in forms of materials, and how it could help us develop future tech for our time on the moon. While the moon in theory has an abundance of resources, it still fails in comparison to everything we have on Earth. This is one of the reasons why people recommend we just skip the moon entirely and head on towards Mars. Fuel is a necessity when it comes to transportation for things departing from the moon. Luckily for us, the moon has approximately a fifth of the gravity here on Earth, theoretically meaning that it should only take about a fifth of the fuel to leave the moon's surface. With no sources of conventional rocket fuel types on the moon, the closest materials we have to create fuel are aluminum, iron, and oxygen. We will mostly be using the fuel for departing payloads and ships. With that in mind, we will have to consider various other types of fuels, or instead use the methods I talked about before, those being the skyhook and space elevator. Now, power. When you think of a source of power for the moon, the first thing that probably comes to mind is solar power. The main issue with solar is that the moon is on a 28-day cycle, meaning that one moon night is about 28 day, Earth days long. Though you can exploit this by putting solar panels on the crater ridges, thus getting the most out of each daylight period, good solar panels are costly and difficult to manufacture, even worse when you factor in all the weathering elements such as raw sunlight, possible micrometeorites, and moon dust. With the moon dust, you are going to have to clean them quite often. Concentrated solar boosts the efficiency of the solar panels, but that concentrated sunlight comes at a handful of management problems, with more problems for them just being on the moon's surface, further making it possibly costlier and more difficult to maintain. But it may be worth it if we can find a way to substitute for those lunar nights. 
Now on to transportation. This is extremely important for distributing and importing goods. For one, it isn't difficult to get things off of the moon with a low gravity. It is a landing that is a bit trickier due to the lack of air that would usually be there to slow us down. This is where space elevators and skyhooks come into play. A space elevator would be way easier to build on the moon than the Earth, substituting the strong, light, and expensive materials for ones that can be found on the moon. The worst part is due to the moon taking just as long to revolve around the Earth as it does to rotate on its own axis, meaning the space elevator would be so tall to the point where it actually gets into Earth's gravity and it just collapses on itself. Skyhooks are more plausible. With the moon having no atmosphere, the lower gravity and the slower orbital speeds, one in theory, could even come close to just hooking an object off the surface. This would help save fuel as well. The moon also has uranium. With the moon being a wasteland, you don't have to worry about the environmental risks that come with using nuclear. This opens a ton of doors for developing new tech. It could also be a better power solution for those lunar nights. Nuclear could be the basis in creating the moon base infrastructure, not to mention the moon base could be a port for tons of asteroid mining missions, netting space rocks that are worth billions and trillions of dollars. It being close to the Earth makes it easier to get in contact if things were going to happen. With these reasons and many more, it should be a no-brainer to start setting up a moon base for space exploration before even attempting a manned Mars mission. I believe that the idea of a moon base to be one of the most scientific sci-fi ideas out there that isn't too far out of reach. Well, that was my podcast on future exploration projects. I know it was a lot of information, but it was all pretty cool, huh? I got most of the information for this podcast from Wikipedia and the YouTube channels Kutzkazat, in a nutshell, and Isaac Arthur. Their videos made me want to talk about this topic in the first place, so please check them out if you want to know more about the topics I discussed in this podcast. Well, that is going to wrap it up for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the topics I brought to the mic today. I would also love to hear your thoughts and opinions on the matters too. The future is ambiguous, which makes talking about these topics so fun and intriguing. They could become a reality, but are we as humans able to take these next steps to discard our present ideologies and adopt new ones to ensure a better future? I am uncertain. I am Aubrey. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Future Podcast, and I hope you can come back and join me in the near future.